Good to see you, church. Welcome. Happy to be here with you today. Please take your Bible and meet me in, um, in Acts chapter 14. Acts 14 this morning. Acts chapter 14. Uh, what we have in Acts in these chapters 13 and 14 is the first of the Apostle Paul's uh, three missionary journeys. And the accounts of these three journeys basically span the second half of the book of Acts. And this particular journey, the first one, uh, began around A.D. 46. It lasted about a year and a half. Uh, And on this journey, Paul's travels took him from the city of Antioch in Syria uh, to the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea, then to the shores of Pamphylia and up into the province of Galatia. In fact, the book of Galatians, you know, we talked last week about learning the whole Bible and how pieces fit with uh, one piece fits with another. So so this is a good example of this. The book of Galatians, which is the earliest of Paul's 13 New Testament letters, uh, was written specifically to the churches he founded on this particular trip. Okay. Uh, We have a map here. Uh, This is our map of of this first missionary journey. I just want us to get a visual of what. So so the blue arrows, um, that was the the, when they went out. So they left Antioch to Cyprus to Pamphylia up into uh, Galatia to the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe. And then they returned home, which we see there by the red arrows. So the blue is the going and and the red is the coming. Um, this Wednesday morning, thank you, Tim. This Wednesday morning, uh, the Wednesday morning women's group, for those of you who may not know, they're currently reading Galatians. And I, uh, reading through Galatians, and I was talking with, with Karen Helzerman uh, after Wednesday, this last Wednesday's study, just asking how it's going. And we talked about how, uh, how important it is to see the connection between what, what, between Paul's experience with these Galatian churches as, as told here in Acts 13 and 14 and what he writes in the letter to the Galatians. Basically, the book of Galatians is a call to hold fast to the gospel to, to the grace of Christ in whom you have believed. Jesus is the door through which we must pass to move from a state of spiritual lostness into the kingdom of God. And the gospel declares that God has opened the door of salvation, the door to salvation through Christ, and it's this message that, uh, that Paul and Barnabas brought to the people on that first missionary journey. And it's a, this good news that remains our central message today. To us, to us, God has opened this door. And so let us, let us reach the world and serve the church with this great news. That's my big idea, my guiding thought from Acts chapter 14 this morning. Let's read it together. Acts 14, the whole chapter, verses 1 through 28. 
Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles uh, Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing this? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Yet even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. And dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and and, and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel of that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. 
Father, we want to thank you for our time in your word this morning. We thank you for the gift, the, the gift that really is your word, that you are a speaking God, that you are a God who, 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 who desires to communicate with us. You desire relationship. You desire to show us the way, and you do. Thank you for your kindness to us in this way, and we would pray that even now as we revisit this these experiences that took so that took place so long ago we we just would pray that you would help us in a sense to enter into them and to walk in the footsteps of 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 those who've gone before us to learn from them to be encouraged by them and then to be sent out into our to the various spheres and circles of our world with like purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to take this chapter in two parts. Part one covers verses 1 through 20 in which we see Paul and Barnabas reaching the world with the gospel. Part 2 covers verses 21 through 28, in which we see them serving the churches in which they were involved. These two parts, reaching the world and serving the church, is consistent with God's call upon our lives still today. Reaching the world and serving the church is consistent. There's continuity between what the church then was called to do and what the church now is called to do. Reach the world, serve the church. Now concerning the first part, we learn of what happened in two cities primarily, Iconium and Lystra. After being driven out of uh, the city of Antioch, as we saw last week, Antioch in Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas went to the city of Iconium where they entered the Jewish synagogue as was their practice. And and as with their uh, synagogue experience in Antioch, their words fell upon open ears and receptive hearts for, according to verse 1, a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. A great number. Now you can imagine how powerful this must have been And how exhilarating to come into a new town, to to walk into a new town and declare the good news of forgiveness from sin and new life in Christ and, and to see immediate fruit, immediate fruit as people respond positively to the message by by trusting Jesus as Lord. Honestly, I'm, I'm, a little bit, I'm a little bit jealous of stories like this. Maybe you are also at times, because isn't it true that one of life's great challenges is pouring yourself into something without seeing immediate results? 
The expectation for immediate results so often keeps us, doesn't it? Keeps us from persevering when things don't happen as quickly as we thought they would. This is probably the number one reason, for, for example, the number one reason why people who want to lose weight or get in shape quit taking the necessary steps because the results aren't coming as quickly as they hoped. Our need for immediacy affects other areas of life and ministry, including our, um, uh, our witnessing efforts. One of the big uh, obstacles for me in the earlier years of pastoral ministry was, was learning to trust the Lord for eventual fruit, even when I wasn't seeing any evidence of it at the time. Have you ever been in situations like that? Maybe even with your loved ones, your children trusting the Lord for eventual fruit even when you can't see any evidence of it at the time so I can just only imagine how exhilarating this must have been when Paul and Barnabas walk into Iconium and right away scores of people respond positively to their message Notice, though, that not everyone responded in this way. Some were so entrenched in their, in their ways that belief in Christ was so offensive to them. Do we know people like this? So offensive to them, they began inciting others against the apostles, poisoning the minds of the people. And so the city of Iconium was divided. On one hand, there were believing Jews and Greeks, while on the other, there were Jews and Greeks who opposed the work. And seeing this, Paul and Barnabas stayed a while. Um, most scholars think maybe possibly up to six months or so, stayed there in Iconium attempting to sway this spiritual tug of war. Uh, we're told that they were bold in their witness and then according to verse 3, the Lord himself also bore witness by doing miraculous deeds through their hands, by their hands. But this tension remained, and in the end, there was this division between belief and unbelief. And from this, we just learned that our job as Christian ministers, as Christian witnesses, as Christians in general, our job is to present the truth of Christ, to present the gospel uh, knowing that the results are out of our hands. Listen, a bad reaction to the message of Jesus doesn't mean necessarily you did anything wrong. In fact, a bad reaction to the message of Jesus may very well mean that the gospel was clearly presented and heard. The people heard the same message and some chose belief 
while others remained in unbelief. And and those who sided with the unbelieving contingent conspired, we're told, to intensify the effort against the apostles who, upon hearing their lives were in danger, fled to the city of Lystra or Lystra in the region of Lycaonia and continued witnessing there. So in Iconium, we have a people divided. That's, that's kind of the, the heading I would put over, over the account there in Iconium, a people divided. And in Lystra, as we will see, I think we have a people misguided. A people divided and a people misguided. In Lystra, Paul and Barnabas were not in the synagogue as they were in Antioch and Iconium. Instead, it seems, they were in the city streets. They were doing open-air preaching and talking with people about Jesus. And there was a man sitting nearby who was disabled from birth and couldn't walk. He'd never been able to walk. But he could hear. And he was listening to what Paul was saying. And at some point, his eyes met Paul's eyes. And Paul saw something in that man that convinced him of the man's faith. So filled with the Holy Spirit, of course, Paul called out to the man, saying in a loud voice, Stand up, get on your feet. And amazingly, the man sprang up and for the first time in his life began to walk. And when the people of Lystra saw this, they went nuts. So astounded and bewildered, they began to attribute deity to Paul and Barnabas, raising their voices, talking to one another in their own language, uh, saying in Lycaonian, verse 11, they're saying, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. Barnabas was Zeus, they said. Paul was Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Now, let's suppose... Let's suppose we didn't know the rest of the story. And as much as you can, put yourself in that situation. And suppose that was you. Suppose that, that you are either Paul or Barnabas. You, are, you take your pick. Who do you want to be? Do you want to be Zeus or Hermes? How would you respond to this adoring crowd, probably growing by the minute, this crowd, as word is passed, growing by the minute, this adoring crowd, so enamored with your ministry, they are so enamored, they're ready and willing to worship you. In fact, verse 13 says, There was even a a priest who served in the nearby temple of Zeus who was gathering his oxen and bringing garland to sacrifice and pay tribute. 
probably most of us would be uncomfortable with this. I hope, I hope we would be uncomfortable with this. But sadly, I think there are some today, as there have been throughout history, whose love of approval and affirmation and an adoring crowd has essentially stripped their ministry of any real and lasting power. Though they may draw thousands to their churches and events, the transforming power of the Christian gospel is rarely seen. Hear this, this because I want you to hear this because we're susceptible to it. Sometimes flattery and popularity, the desire to be affirmed, the desire for approval, the desire for acceptance, sometimes flattery and popularity are the enemy's chosen tool by which he distracts us from the task at hand. Am I right? It's a chosen tool by which he distracts us from the task at hand and and essentially mutes the gospel's clarion call. But, But the apostles here, they had none of it. Distressed by this, they urged the people to turn from idolatry and superstition to trust in the living God. You see, the mistake of those living in Lystra was not that they looked to heaven for divine help. It's that they didn't look close enough. They settled for gods of their own making rather than the one true and living God. And I just love how Paul and Barnabas respond to this. I think there's a lesson here. I know there's a lesson here. There are five things here, just quickly, five things that they do in response. First, just notice that they are heartbroken for the people. Like they're heartbroken. The people are responding this way. They're tearing their clothes. They're rushing out into the crowds. They're saying, wait, stop, please stop. You're missing the point. Essentially pleading with them. Second, notice they identify with the people. They put themselves on equal ground. They say, listen, we're just like you. We're men. We're of the same nature, just like you. We're in the same boat. You see, when we see ourselves as no better than others, when we see ourselves as no better than others, when we identify with them in this way, uh, the only exception being that we know God's grace and they have yet to know God's grace as we do. But when we see themselves as being no better, it fosters compassion and a desire that they receive what we've received. Next, they clarify their intent and they call for repentance. Listen, they say, we're here to tell you. We're just here to tell you that you don't have to worship these so-called gods 
anymore. You don't have to pay tribute to this God or, or that God. You don't, you don't have to worry about, about whether the gods are in a good mood. You don't, you don't have to question whether, whether the gods are, are for or against you today. Uh, just turn. You can just turn from the vanity of that idol worship because even you know uh, it does not and it cannot satisfy. And so just turn from it to worship the living God instead. Fourth, they, they use creation to point to the creator. They say, look around, basically. Just look around. Look to the heaven. Look to the earth. Look to the sea, look to all that is in them. And what does, what does creation tell us? It tells of a creator. That they're saying that, that, listen, it's almost like just as a book gives insight to its author, creation reveals its creator. And then lastly, they tell how God's common grace should lead to his saving grace explaining in verses 16 and 17 that even though humanity has chosen its own way, God has remained gracious with us. Even the rain from heaven that brings fruit from the earth testifies to God's common grace. And so did you get that? Like the hearts, there are are steps there that are good for us. The hearts their hearts broke for the people. They identified with the people. They had compassion for them. They clarified their message, called for repentance, used creation to build a bridge. Just as they used common grace, God's common grace, as a bridge to explain his saving grace. But the people wouldn't listen. Verse 18 teaches that not even this could restrain the crowd from offering sacrifice to them. Uh, You can only imagine how how disheartening this must have been and to be so misunderstood. (laughs) There are times, I thought about, there are times when, when, Oh, now I'm not even sure I should share this, but we're, I'm in it now. But there are times where I've, 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 after a sermon, after a Sunday service, I'll, I'll preach, and I'll be talking with someone, and they'll say, I, I, I really like when you said this, and I never said that. Like, oh, I really like when you said that was a great point when you said this. And, and I, you know, I'm, I want to be polite and understand. It's like, well, thank you. And in my head, I'm thinking, I never said that. And so one of two things is happening. What I hope is happening is that God took my words in the, in the span between my mouth and your ears, rearranged it in a way that it really ministered to you. That's what I'm hoping is happening. (laughs) But sometimes it just feels like you're being misunderstood. And so how disheartening must this have been to see a people so misguided? But as bad as this was, it gets worse. 
The Gentiles in Lystra misunderstood the gospel, but the Jews, these, these, this pack of Jews who had been tracking Paul and Barnabas from city to city, finally caught up with them and somehow, we're not told how, but somehow persuaded the crowds. And the next thing we know is that Paul is being stoned to death. And it kind of reminded me of that, that week between uh, Palm Sunday and Easter when Jesus walk, comes into the city of Jerusalem and the crowds are worshiping him. And by the end of the week, they're calling for his life. Rocks and boulders were thrown with aggression and violence until Paul was knocked unconscious and showed little to no sign of life. And so they dragged him and dropped him outside the city, left him for dead. The disciples gather around him. Maybe they prayed. Maybe they tended to his wounds. Maybe they nursed him back to life. Maybe they thought he was dead, too. Whatever the case, after some time, Paul rose, he picked himself up, he steadied his feet, he set his gaze, and then amazingly, can you not, I mean, do you not just love this? Amazingly, he turned back to Lystra and re-entered the city. I mean, this is courage. This is dedication to the task. What an example of perseverance this is. Maybe he went back to Lystra to prove a point. Uh, basically saying, listen, you can beat us senseless, but you cannot stop the work of God. Maybe he returned to Lystra to encourage those who were with him as if saying to them, listen, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Or maybe... Uh, he returned to Lystra just in simple obedience to God because he believed God led him to Lystra and he needed to make sure that the work there was in fact complete. We're not sure, but the next day he and Barnabas left the city for, for Derby. It's about 58 miles uh, to the south and east and and they made many disciples there. Not a single one of us can reach the entire world. But we can, by God's grace and power, we can reach that part of the world in which he has placed us and to which he calls us. And I think that's a lesson that we hear, that, that we learn here in this first part of Acts chapter 14. And we can also serve the church along the way as, as Paul and Barnabas do next. At some point, they left Derby and returned to Lystra, then Iconium, then Antioch in Pisidia, and this time, not to reach the world primarily, but to serve the churches they had planted. 
Though expelled from Antioch and threatened in Iconium and stoned in Lystra, back they went to help build the faith of the believers in those cities. And we're told in verse 22... Uh, that they strengthened the souls of the people. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, um, to persevere. They prepared them for coming tribulation, notice. Just as Jesus did with, with his disciples. They, they set proper expectations. They, they told them from the beginning, early on, what to expect down the road. They, they, they basically said, listen, Walking in obedience to God means facing opposition because through many trials we enter the kingdom of God. And I'm so, like, like what I want to do, I want to just kind of gloss over this. Because I don't like this verse. You've heard this saying, um, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. I think Paul would say it a different way. When the going gets tough, get tougher. Deal with it. Overcome it. And I want to just be very clear I'm not in any way suggesting a bootstrap mentality, like we just got to pull ourselves up, or, or something like God helps those who help themselves, or any type of self-reliance at all. And I certainly don't want to minimize uh, the persecution Paul endured and that many of our uh, Christian brothers and sisters endure even today. But as I thought about, I think that's the point. I think, I think because many of our Christian brothers and sisters endure these things, we need to adjust our expectations and develop our ability to persevere. Listen, it's not supposed to be easy. Since when has God promised easiness? A life of ease. In other parts of the world and throughout most of Christian history, people expect tribulation. So maybe we have some room to grow in that area. Is our day any different than Paul's, really? I don't think so. Are people today more accepting of Jesus than they were then? I don't think so. 
Is it because we live in a country where religious freedom exists? Maybe, to a degree. I thank God for that. But could it be that in our, that this gratitude we have to the Lord has veered, has veered off, off track a little and we've made a subtle deal with the devil in which he tells us that we're, we'll have a relatively easy Christian life in exchange for not going public with our faith. As if the devil is saying, listen, listen, you can have your comfortable churches. You can have your freedom of assembly. I don't care as long as you keep it to yourselves. In this world, you will have tribulation, Jesus once said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then notice, finally, that Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in these churches. They just understood the importance of spiritual leadership and care. And then with prayer and fasting, they committed these congregations to the Lord because it was the Lord in whom the people had believed. And then after this, they returned to their church. They began making their way to their church, the church that had commissioned and sent them. Uh, they passed through Pisidia and Pamphylia, again crossing the Taurus mountain range. They came to the city of Perga and shared the gospel with the people there. And then Adalia, where they caught a boat and, and uh, sailed across the Mediterranean back to Syria and to the familiar city of Antioch. Uh, because it was in Antioch where they'd been commended to God and His grace for the work they had now fulfilled. And they see this missions movement that, that had begun in the heart of that church uh, about 18 months earlier, uh, had now come full circle. And thousands, thousands of people across Cyprus and Pamphylia and, and throughout the province of, of Galatia had heard the message of Jesus through the ministry of the church in Antioch and hundreds, if not thousands, of people came to saving faith in Christ. At least four churches were planted, at least four. And Paul and Barnabas wanted the congregation to know, the congregation at Antioch, their sending church, Paul and Barnabas wanted them to know that you were part of this. You were part of what God is doing out in the world. And so they gathered the church together and they declared all that God had done. Now, I love the fact that they declared all that God had done because, because it reminds us that we have to believe that God is at work even, um, even when our circumstances suggest otherwise. I mean, when they were facing division in Iconium, when they were being misunderstood in Lystra, when Paul was being violently beaten and left for dead, it probably didn't seem like God was at work. 
the devil, sure. And yet, as Paul and Barnabas recounted these stories, they said that God was working even in the hardships when it may have seemed like he wasn't. That's a good lesson for us, too. It was God who opened a door of faith to the unbelieving world, to the Gentile world, to the world of people who don't know God. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible stories we, we know so well and take for granted. They don't know the truth of Christ, uh, His life and death and resurrection to new life. They don't know that forgiveness from sin is available through faith in Christ, that He saves us from, from sin's dominion and its faith consequence and he he restores us to God they don't know this they don't know to turn from vain things and call upon Jesus as Lord they don't know so understand how radical and revolutionary this was to their way of thinking that God had brought faith to the Gentiles the Gentiles were outsiders. The Gentiles were pagans. The Gentiles were the heathen. They were the ungodliest of the ungodly. They're what we might call the world. And, and the Jewish community tried to stay as far away as possible from the world, just as many Christians do today. But God has sent us into the world. And so where are the Gentiles of our day? Who are the people or people groups in your life that you assume to be beyond God's reach? Could it be that God would open a door of faith to them if only someone would tell them why faith is necessary? Jesus is the door. that God has opened to a lost humanity. And because the church at Antioch sought direction from God and sent Paul and Barnabas, as God had said, many lost souls throughout the Roman Empire called upon Christ and were saved. And so the apostles, it says, the apostles just told story after story of one gospel victory after another because that's, that may be the very best way to encourage and strengthen one another simply by reminding each other what God has done. God has opened the door to salvation. Beloved, He has opened it to us and so let us reach the world and serve the church with the message of this great news. Amen. Once again, Father, we thank you for our time. Trust that you will impress these things upon us. Thank you that you know each one of us. You know the, the, the intimate details of each of our lives. You know the joys we bring with us into the room today. You know the burdens and, and, uh, and, and worries and griefs, anxieties that we bring. 
Thank you that you tend to us, you care for us, you've called us out from hopelessness into sure hope in Jesus, who is like an anchor for our souls. And so may our love for for you and our appreciation for what you have done in our lives, may, may it motivate and encourage us to be as those who reach the world and serve the church in Christ's name. Amen.